Okay. Um, welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Frank. Hello, everybody. My name is Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive reader. And I do say recovered, not recovering, because um, that's what the first 100 alcoholics did. They recovered from alcoholism. Anyway, um, I've been in OA for 41 years, and I've got a lot of history to tell. I'm not going to tell all of it in detail, but I currently only claim 14 years of, of abstinence. And so let me just give you a brief um, outline of that. I'll, I'll give my weight history. My top weight before I ever came into OA was 430 pounds. I actually came in the door at 380 pounds, and I got down to my goal weight, which is 200 pounds in the first year in the program. And I stayed near that weight for about eight or nine years. And then I entered into a long period of alternating relapse and recovery. And it was, you know, relapse for six months, recovery for six months, back and forth. In fact, some of the evidence for that is that I spent a lot of that time in the 350 to 400 pound weight range. So that means every time I went from 400 to 350, there was abstinence of some kind there. And then when I went from 350 back to 400, it was in re, um, relapse. And I actually got to a higher top weight in my relapse period. I've got up to 460 pounds in my relapse period. And I uh, was, I got lucky and I retired young in the year 2001. And I was going to work this program on retirement and, and get abstinent. And it wasn't until 2006 when I finally uh, got my current abstinence. And I was at 400 pounds in 2006. So it took me longer this time. It took me about two years to get down to my goal weight. And I've been uh, near my goal weight ever since then. So that's the weight history. Um, I, I was raised in a very traditional Christian church. And I, um, and, and I got in, when I got into high school, I got more and more into science and into physics in particular. And that's when I converted from, from that Christian religion to atheism. I mean, I could prove that God didn't exist because God would have to violate the laws of physics and the laws of physics are true. So there, there's no room in the laws of physics for a God to come in and change anything in this world. And I went on, in fact, got a, an undergrad and a graduate degree in physics. And, um, and then I went to work in Silicon Valley here as a software engineer. So that's what I did for my career. Um, and I had to hit a really hard bottom to come to a spiritual program because I was an absolute atheist. And the hard problem was not just the weight there, but there, were other, there was a, um, a relationship that broke up. And I thought if I lost the weight, maybe the relationship would be back on again. And I called uh, the local medical clinic for a referral and they gave me the name of a therapist. I called the therapist. He said he would take me on as a client, but I had to go to Uber's Anonymous meeting simultaneously. Now, there was no internet at that, at that time, thank God, because if I had looked up that OA was spiritual, I wouldn't be here today. So I, sh I called the telephone number in the, in, the, um, in the telephone book and I went to my first meeting and that's when I found out it was a spiritual program. And it was a very small meeting. I asked the people, how can I work this program? I'm an atheist. And they said, you don't need to believe in a traditional higher power. You can use the group as your higher power, whatever work works for you. I didn't believe them, but somebody loaned me the AA big book at that time. And they said, read the chapter of We Agnostics. That might help you. 
I took that book home, I read that chapter, and then I was convinced this program was not for me because the only message I got from that chapter was, if you stick with us, we will convert you. And I didn't want to be converted. So I had to go back to the second meeting to return the book I'd borrowed. If they'd given it to me as a gift, I might not be here also. But I went back and I had another little bottom between this, the first meeting and the second meeting a week later. And I actually uh, kind of surrendered to the program. I went to a third meeting on the same day I went to a second meeting. And there I got the hope I, I needed because I went to a bigger meeting down in San Jose at that time. And uh, there was a man that stood up there. He was a thin man and he said that he had lost over hundred pounds and had kept it off for years. And that gave me the hope that I needed that this program could work. So I kind of plunged into the food part of the program and lost a lot of weight pretty quickly, but I avoided the steps. And I, um, what happened at about six months into the program, a man volunteered to be my step sponsor. I didn't ask him, but he just volunteered. And he had been cut out of the same kind of mold I had been cut out of. He had the same kind of addictions. He had lost over hundred pounds, kept it off. Uh, he was an atheist when he came in the program. So I said, okay, and what he got me to do, first of all, for step two, step one was easy. I was, you know, powerless over food. There's no question about that. But what he first got me to do was to give up the debate. What good did my proof that God didn't exist? What good did that do me living my life? Well, that doesn't do me any good at all. Whereas if I could come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, what good would that do? Well, being restored to sanity about the food would be a good thing. So I gave up the debate and then he got me to act as if and to pray, even though I didn't think there was any, anything to pray to out there. And what, what happened is to my horror and disgust, it worked. When I, said, when I said the serenity prayer, I usually got the serenity that I needed because I was usually trying to change things I couldn't change, other people, places, or things. So by saying the serenity prayer, I get serenity. And so that got me to, to try this acting as if, and I proceeded to work the steps with him and, you know, I was, I, like I said, I got down to my goal weight within the first year and I was very popular having lost all that weight. A lot of people asked me to speak at meetings. I was the uh, keynote speaker at a region two convention in our area. I um, was a world service business conference delegate. I was the chairperson of the intergroup and my ego was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then my sponsor left for the East coast. I got another sponsor and he left for LA. And I was in between sponsors when I had my first binge. And the, the, at that time, my rule for going out to restaurants was that I could have one plate and that was it. I couldn't go back for seconds. Now it could be close to avalanching off the side of the plate, but whatever fit on one plate worked. And hopefully it was mostly salad. That was the ideal. So at this time I, I went out to eat by myself and I had three plates. The second, third plates weren't huge ones like the first one, but you know, that was not okay. I couldn't tell anybody about my break in abstinence because I'd have to give up all my service positions. And I wanted to go to the World Service, World service Business Conference that year. So I went ahead and, uh, and you know, just tried to ignore it. And then I had another binge a week later and then another binge. And finally, I had to admit that I was no longer abstinent. And I gave up all my service positions. And that was the beginning of my, my relapse and recovery period. And I... Um, during that time, I stopped going to all the region conventions that I used to go to and to the World Service. I used to go to the World Service um, Convention every year. It was every year back at that back then. And uh, I stopped doing all that. I stopped going to retreats, but I did keep going to my OE meetings. That's the only thing I did right during my relapse period. I continued to go to my OE meetings, but actually it was more like OA meeting, like once a week. And it was my home meeting. And I, and, you know, and, and I honestly didn't go as often if I was in relapse. When I was in recovery, I went to more meetings than just one meeting a week. 
So there's definitely a correlation there. Finally, uh, in 2006, where I got sick and tired of being sick and tired and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, I decided to go to the Region 2 convention, which was in Oakland that year. And so I decided to get abstinent on the Monday before the convention. It would be good to have some days of abstinence. So I went to a meeting a day that week and I went to the convention and got a lot of recovery out of the convention. And then I decided to do 90 meetings in 90 days and that worked so well, I actually kept up a meeting a day for about uh, three years. And then I gradually ramped it down and, and got down to uh, an average of about three meetings a week um, before COVID. And now I'm up to more meetings now with COVID with the uh, Zoom meetings. But um, so that's, that's how I got into recovery back uh, 14 and a half years ago now. It was in June, June 26. So I have to come back and get my, uh, my uh, candle then, I guess. Um, so that's, that's my story in OA. Now, what I wanted to talk about mostly at this time was about my, my spiritual journey, because like I said, I came in as an ap absolute atheist. In fact, I still consider myself to be a spiritual atheist. I'm an atheist who uses spiritual principles and spiritual practices, but I don't believe in a conventional kind of a higher power that created the universe that exists outside of me or anything like that. So, um, like I said, I started using the meetings as a higher power, but that's not very portable. And so what I finally came up with is the higher self. I call it the higher self. And the idea is that the Frank that's talking to you right now, that Frank, that is the selfish and self-centered part of me. The other name I give to that, that part of me is the thinker, because this, this Frank here sits and thinks a lot, and he thinks about the way things should be and the way things shouldn't be, and what people should do and what they shouldn't do, a lot of shoulds on people and other people and on myself. And it's the thinker that's the selfish and self-centered part of me, and that's the part that causes the suffering, and that's the part that's the addict. That's the thinker is the addict. The thinker has come to believe that the food is going to solve all my problems, and, um, and I'll be okay. Now, the, a lot of our OA literature and AA literature also talks about intuition. And you know, the idea is that if you have some, something, that you're, um, something that you're needing some help with, you might say a prayer to, to ask your higher power for help and then listen for that intuitive thought. And that intuitive thought might be the answer that your higher power is giving you. So basically what I did was I turned intuition into my higher power. And I've actually kind of developed a scientific model of this that I've been working on for years that maybe will eventually be published, I don't know. But the scientific model, I call that, that part of me the experiencer because I'm convinced that it's the part of me that experiences like the, the beauty of a sunset and the, you know, uh, all, all those kinds of sensory experiences are, are handled by the experiencer. And that's also the intuitive part of me. It's the part of, that knows the intuitively right thing to do. And you know, the thinker thinks that it's everything. You think, the thinker thinks that that's all that I am. That's I am the thinker and that's Frank and that that's all there is. But there's this huge part of me. The experiencer is a much bigger part of the brain than the thinker. And it's that experiencer that is my higher power in this case. You know, a lot of uh, Christian religions talk about a higher uh, uh, a Holy Spirit. Like they showed us a little flame above the head there. That's essentially what I've internalized is the Holy Spirit is, the, is my experiencer. So that's my, uh, my model of who the God is and who I am. And you know, as a scientist, if I could rewrite any step, I would rewrite step two to say, gathered evidence that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. And that's what I've been doing for 41 years. I've been gathering more and more evidence. Every time I use prayer or meditation or any of the other spiritual uh, principles or practices, 
you know, that's gathering more and more evidence that my life works better that way. And that's, that has reinforced my, my belief that there is a higher self within me that is restoring me to sanity. Now, the, um, the experiencer is the one part of me that directs attention. So for example, if I ask you to pay attention to the sensations of your feet right now, you know, what kind of bodily sensations are you having in your feet? It's your experiencer that's directing the attention to your feet. And then it might be reporting that it's feeling the, the tingling or there's a pressure on my, my foot or you know the pressure of the gravity on the floor, whatever it is. So it's the one that's directing attention. And one of the ways that my higher power can help me with, with the food issue, the food problem, is that it can help to direct the attention away from the food. So that's one of the ways that my higher power can help me. So for example, if I'm out at, you know, in, a, in a restaurant or out in the world and there's all kinds of food around, you know, I don't have to glom on to looking at that food and thinking about how it would taste and, you know, and how I'd really like to have it. And the experiencer can let that, 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 that attention drift away from that food and on, onto something else. Or the, on the other hand, if my thinker starts thinking about food and boy, I'm hungry and boy, I should really have this and that would be really good. And why don't I go out and get some of that? That thinker is also trying to uh, grab the attention of the experiencer. And the, again, the experiencer can kind of direct the attention away from the food thoughts and off to something else so that I, I don't, don't act on that. In fact, you know, the big book talks about the, um, the, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. The allergy of the body is handled by just stop eating. And, and you do that by taking steps one, two, and three. You know, the, if you admit that you're powerless over food, if you come to believe that there's some hope out there for you, and if you're asking that hope to please help you, that's where you can get the power to stop taking that first bite one day at a time. Now, if that's all you do is work steps one, two, and three, you will eventually eat again. Because the problem is there's the obsession of the mind. And that, that obsession of the mind is the thinker, by the way. It's the, the obsession of the thinker. The thinker is the disease part of me, and it will figure out some way to get me to take that first bite one way or the other. You know, it'll come up with some lie that it'll tell me, or, you know, some justification. Well, you know, you, you, you should have something to eat because of that. You know, that person was mean to you. That's not right. And, you know, whatever the justification is, it'll come up with it. And I need to use the experiencer's help with that, with that problem, the thinker problem. You know, the, the big book says that thinking that that selfish and self-centeredness is the root of our problems and the root of the selfish and self-centeredness is my thinker. So so that's the way that the higher power can help me by helping direct attention away from that and by, you know, getting getting the, the thinker to realize that he's not the whole thing. Now, um, for me, I, I think of the difference between spirituality and religion is that spirituality is if you take religion you subtract away the dogma about, you know, what you have to believe and what you don't have to believe. You subtract away the politics of, you know, what the hierarchy of the church or whatever, whatever it is, what you're left with is spirituality. And spirituality has a number of different uh, uh, practices that, that are part of spirituality. And that includes prayer, meditation, forgiveness, living in the now, gratitude, surrender, acceptance, and trust. And those are all parts of, of the practices that you can practice in, in, uh, when you're practicing a spiritual program. And you know, those are all consistent with the 12 steps and everything else. So you know, prayer and meditation, of course, is mentioned in the 11th step. And, and the prayer is where my thinker is asking my experiencer for help to help me do whatever it is I want to do. Meditation is where 
the thinker is trying to quiet down. It's hard to get him to quiet down because he just comes up with thoughts all the time. But he tried to quiet down and to listen to the intuitive thought of the thinker. The, the intuitive thought of, of, the, of, the of the experiencer. That intuitive thought of the experiencer is like a little whisper. And the thinker is a big, you know, a guy with a megaphone talking his, all of his thoughts all the time. So the, the, um, that's, 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 what I, that's why I need to try to practice meditation, to try to quiet down that, that thinker's thoughts and pay attention to the intuitive, intuitive thoughts and the feelings and the, and the emotions and things like that. So that's prayer and meditation. Now, forgiveness is, you know, is essential in this program. Um, in fact, I have a, a saying I like, which is that forgiveness is giving up all hope of the better past. And that's what I'm doing when I'm holding on to a resentment. I'm wishing that I could go back and change that person so that they didn't do what, what, they, what they were doing and instead would do something different. And I'm hoping for a different past and I can't get them to do that. And so that's why I keep holding on to the resentment. So if I can forgive that person for what they did to me in the past, then I can let go of that resentment and, and move on with my life. So forgiveness is part of that. And then there's living in the now. Living in the now is what the, the experiencer does all the time. You know, it's the, it's the part of us that's always meditating in the now. And that's a lot of meditations are trying to get, keep you in the in now, in the current minute, and not off into the past, worrying about the past or off into the future. And uh, the past is usually about a resentment and the future is about some possible fear in the future. So living in the now is one of the spiritual principles. And, and that's, again, something that the, the experiencer does very well, whereas the, it's the thinker that's often off into the past and often often off into the future, trying to uh, either relive the past and make it different or worried about what might happen to it in the future. And then gratitude is something that is a positive emotion instead of being uh, grouchy and upset about everything. The thinker is the part that's usually grouchy and upset about things. And it's the experiencer which can have that ability to have be grateful for everything exactly the way it is. You know, you don't have to have things change in order to be grateful for them. You can be grateful for them right now the way they are. And then there's the surrender. And this is the thinker surrendering its, its will and its life over to the care of, of its higher power, the experiencer. So that's the, the surrender part of the program. And so, you know, I, I do use the word God when I'm talking in this program. I use it all the time. And it's just become ingrained that that's the word that I use for my experiencer. That's the alternate name for my experiencer is, is God. And um, so that's the surrender to the higher power and surrender to the to the, the ex experiencer. And then acceptance of other people, places and things is something that the experiencer does well. You know, the, I view the experiencer as kind of building up a model of the world. And we actually live in our model of the world in our head. We don't live in the actual physical world out there. We're living in the model of the world created in our, in our brain. And it's the experiencer that does that. So when it's constructing that model of the world, it's accepting the world exactly the way it is. It's not trying to make that thing over there into a blue instead of a red or anything like that. It's accepting whatever color is coming in from the world, and that's what it presents to us. So acceptance is what the experiencer does very well, and it's the thinker that's always trying to make things be different and be the way, be the way he wants them to be. And then trust, trusting, trusting the universe, trusting the higher power, trusting uh, God. That's all part of what this, that's another one of the spiritual principles that we, that practices that we can use is trusting that everything's going to be okay. That, you know, even though I'm worried about what, what's going to happen in the future, that doesn't mean that that it's going to happen. It's just my worry that it's going to happen. So, so those are the um, 
the spiritual principles that I think uh, are important in this program. And I have this quiz that I like, and I'll, I'll, I'll post this in the chat after the talk here, but I call it the Am I Selfish quiz. And if the what, what it's doing is it's showing that all of my character defects are coming from that selfish and self-centeredness. So here it is, am I selfish? If I am resentful, it is because someone did not do what I wanted them to do in the past. They did not do it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am angry, it's because someone is not doing what I want them to do right now. They're not doing it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am fearful, it's because I know that someone is not going to do what I want them to do in the future. They are not going to do it my way, and that is being selfish. If I feel guilty or remorseful, it's because I got my own way at your expense, and that is being selfish. If I feel jealous or envious, it's because someone has something I want, and I want it now, and that is being selfish. So that, that's the am I selfish quiz, and that the, the selfish part there is the thinker, and it's the experiencer is the part that can help us to accept the world exactly the way it is. Um, let me also talk about what I abstain from. I, I, my, my, my food plan, my most successful food plan, both the first time in a way and then this time here was to count calories, because I was basically a quantity eater. You don't get to 430 or 460 pounds without eating massive quantities of food. And, you know, I wasn't even a particularly a, a sugar binger because sugar had higher calories. And being the physicist, I knew it was about calories in and calories out. So I could eat a, a bigger quantity of, of meat and potatoes rather than uh, dessert items. So that's what I tended to do. Um, so, so that was my, the way that I ate. And my current food plan, I started out this abstinence 14 years ago by counting calories very rigorously. And then gradually over a period of time, I've, I've kind of transitioned smoothly into kind of moderate meals. And that's what I try to do now. And that's part of, part of by a moderate meal, it doesn't mean that I'm perfect at every meal. It means that I do the best that I can. And I really only claim 14 years of imperfect abstinence. Now I'm not counting calories right now, but I do use the bathroom scale as a backup for the count calorie counting. And I can pay attention to when that scale is going up or when it's going down and try to make a, adjustments in the food accordingly. But you know what, what happens with, with, with me is that it used to be that if I, during, especially during my period of relapse, if I had too much food for breakfast, I say, well, I blew it. You know, I'm gonna go out and eat for the rest of the day. So I'd go out and try to get the perfect binge. And you know, I, I could stop, I could get abstinent if I could only get the perfect binge because then I wouldn't have to you know, go out and binge anymore because I already had the perfect binge. And I could never get the perfect binge. There was always something I left out that I wanted to have. And so I would have to do it over again. So the um, so that that's the way I did it before, and that was starting over. And I, I I think that starting over is a deadly thing to do here. That's why I claim 14 years of of imperfect abstinence because if I started over every time I had a meal that was bigger than I wanted it to be, you know who knows how what I what I'd be right now. And in fact, my my abstinence has changed uh, since 14 years ago. Like I said, it was counting calories was my food plan 14 years ago. And I got this from somebody else in the program, but interestingly enough, I heard this from somebody about, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. And I recently asked them, hey, do you remember talking about that? I mentioned this all the time. And they didn't remember saying this, but this was not me originally, but I've adopted it. And, um, and this is what I abstain from now. I abstain, I abstain from four things. I abstain from starting over. I abstain from perfectionism. I abstain from negativity. And I abstain from leaving OA. Now I talked about starting over quite a bit and that's, that's the deadly one for me. If I, if I say I'm starting over, that means I'm not gonna 
I'm, I'm going to go ahead and binge the rest of the day here today. And in fact, you know, tomorrow when I'm supposed to be absent, I may say, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do it tomorrow. I'll keep doing it tomorrow. I'll keep pushing off to tomorrow. And that's how I got to 460 pounds by starting over every single day for months and years. So I'm by not starting over, that means if I had too much for breakfast this morning, I have a, more, a normal lunch and I have a normal dinner. That's what no starting over means. And that's what, that's what I try to do. And perfectionism is part of that too. Again, if I was trying to be perfect and I couldn't be perfect, then you know what's the point? I'd give up. So I'm, I abstain from trying to be perfect. I, I let myself be imperfect and I am imperfect in many different ways, whether I let myself do it or not. But this has given me permission to not be perfect. So I, I abstain from trying to be perfect. And abstaining from negativity is probably the hardest thing for me because I can be quite critical of you know, politics, of myself, of others, you name it, I can be critical of it. I've got, a, I've got lots of opinions and uh, a lot of them are negative about what, what's going on. So I, I need to abstain from negativity. And finally, I abstain from leaving OA. And that's, again, the only thing I really did, even during my long period of relapse, I didn't completely quit OA. I think the longest I ever went was maybe two months between meetings during that relapse period. But I knew that OA was the answer and there was no other answer out there. I, I went for an interview during that relapse period. I went for an interview with the with the bariatric surgeon. They have a group interview where you can ask questions, and he tells them, tells about the bariatric surgery. And when the when the surgeon said that they consider it success if half of their patients lose half of their excess weight, well, I said, you know, I know for sure I'm going to be in that half that doesn't lose their half half their excess weight. I mean, and what do you mean by half the excess weight? I know in OA they can lose all the excess weight. You know, there's no, no need to settle for just half of it. So I never went back to the bariatric surgeon and, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, um, so that's about it, I think. There's, that's what I was intending to talk about. And um, for, the, for the podcast, if anybody has any questions about the spirituality that, you know, if you're an atheist like I was and you're having a big problem with that in a way, I'd like to leave my email address if that's allowed. My email address is F as in Frank, B is in Ben, H is in Hiley, 1949 at gmail.com. That's FBH1949 at gmail.com. You can send me an email. I'd be happy to talk to you and uh, you know send you whatever I've got. So, um, so I guess I'm going to leave a lot of time for questions and answers then. So we can turn it over to that. Well, great. Thank you so much, Frank, for that wonderful lead. And um, everyone, uh, it's time for questions. So please raise your hand by clicking on reactions at the bottom of the screen and um, we can start taking questions. So if you have an older version of Zoom, it might be in the, in the um, participants menu. Right. Okay, Bridget, you're first. Hello, thank you so much for your share tonight. Uh, my question was this, what does your current diet look like? What do you eat? you know, day to day? Well, I, I try to have three meals a day and, you know, I sometimes have a snack in between, sometimes I don't. Uh, one thing I can tell you right now, what I've been doing um, for the last uh, two or three years is I've been trying to work steps one, two, and three before each meal. Okay. And, and that's sometimes done uh, very consciously. I, you know, I might actually say steps one, two, and three to myself and ask for help with this meal that I'm going to have. And, to reinforce it, I, I got an agreement with one of my sponsees that I, I would text the numbers one, two, three to him 
So I sent I send him a one, two, three text. I say one, two, three breakfast. And then I ideally I'd have the breakfast after I do that. Sometimes I forget and I might send the one, two, three to him after I've eaten. And, and sometimes I've gotten more elaborate instead of just typing the numbers one, two, and three, I might type in a short little prayer, you know, I'm powerless over food, please give me help and something like that, or even more, more elaborate than that. But, um, but that's been helpful in the last few, few years. I'd, I'd actually put on a little bit of weight over time. And, you know, I, whenever I did that, I would try to lose it again and I'd lose some of it and then I'd come back up again. And about three years ago, I was about 20, 25 to 30 pounds above what my deal, ideal weight would be. And I've lost all that now by doing this one, two, three practice. That's been helpful for me. Thank you so much. Thanks, uh, Jane, you're next. Hi, thank you so much, Frank, for your lead. Um, I wasn't sure if I followed it. Um, do you have a visualization when you think about your higher power or because you're agnostic, do you just go with the universe? It, well, I, no, it's, I call it the experiencer. I, I think of my higher power as my experiencer. It's part of me, but it's not the me that's talking to you right now. So that's what I try to do. I try to differentiate between the me that's talking to you right now. I'm hope, Hopefully I'm channeling some of my experiencer's wisdom because the experiencer is the one who has all the wisdom. It has all the understanding of the way the world works and things like that. But the but my thinker is the one that's talking to you right now. So I'm trying to channel the, the wisdom of the experiencer through that. But the, the, the experiencer is my higher power. That's my God concept is the experiencer. And, um, you know, like I said, this is, this is a kind of an elaborate model that I'm working on here, but I don't have a visualization of it really. It's, it's more like, um, it, it's a word thing. It's, um, you know, that, that's what I've got right now. Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, Susan, you're next. Thank you so much for the fascinating uh, lead. I'm interested in why you figure you ate so much to begin with. Like what, uh, often uh, in 12 step programs, uh, like OA, people talk about there being in a hole in the soul, for example. But, uh, something that needs to be filled through uh, uh, picking up a, a kit of spiritual tools daily. Thank you. Yeah, that that's a really good question. I, you know, I've I've been through psychoanalysis, and and you know, I can tell you about some issues I had in childhood. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't always fat. I, in fact, I um, it wasn't until eighth grade that I really started to put the weight on, and and unfortunately. And eighth grade is where I got the nickname of hippo. And that was traumatic to me. And, uh, but, but anyway, that was the beginning of, of my um, downfall. So up until then, I, I, left a, I, let, I led a pretty normal childhood with, at a normal weight. And you know, there are some things that I felt guilty about, uh, sexual things, things like that, that I felt guilty about that I you know, could have contributed to it. I'm not sure that might've been part of the hole in my spirit or whatever. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what I ate. And, and actually, I don't think it is necessary to even figure out why I ate. All I have to do is, that the, because the problem is the, the food became a self-reinforcing negative spiral down, you know, because that once I gain some weight, then that's, then I feel bad about that. Then I eat some more and I eat some more and it's just, you know, right down the rabbit hole. So, um, and in, and the spiritual practices can fix any of, any of those problems that I have there. You know, I can forgive myself for what I did when I was a kid. I can forgive other people for what they did to me, and you know, forgiveness is the answer to a lot of a lot of the problems that I have. 
So um, I guess that's about the only thing I can say about that. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Andriette, please ask your question next. Okay, Frank, hi, I'm Andriette, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much for your share. I'm just interested in, in knowing how you call on your experience or your higher power when you're having um, those moments when the food may be calling to you. Um, or, and also, do you use any tools um, on a daily basis that help you stay connected with this experiencer? Yes. Um, well, the, that one, two, three practice that I came up with a few years ago, that, that was one that's been helpful to me and continues to be helpful to me. And um, the other thing is, uh, I, I don't do big, long prayers. I tend to do short prayers. In fact, one of my favorite prayers is more God, less Frank because that's what I need, more of the experiencer in my life, more of the wisdom of the intuitive thoughts coming into my life, and less of Frank's selfishness and self-centeredness and Frank's endless thoughts about what things should do and what they shouldn't do and things like that. So I, I um, you know, that, that's, what, that's one of the things I use. So um, what else was I gonna say about this? Um, oh, I remember. You know, another another short prayer that I like is is more thy will be thy, thy will not mine be done. You know, that's a short prayer. That's rec that's that's um, emphasized in step ten and step eleven in our in our in, the, in our program. And the problem is, I could go for days and days and days in a row, not ever thinking of thinking of saying that thought to myself. So what I did was I put a calendar event in my Google Calendar for eleven thirty at night, and I put in six notifications three hours apart throughout the day. So every three hours, I get a notification of that event. And that event is, thy will, not mine, be done. So that gives me six opportunities during the, during the day to remember, thy will, not mine, be done. And this is thy will, the experiencer's will, not Frank's will, be done. That's, that's the way that I look at that. So, you know, and sometimes I'd probably just swipe away the, the uh, notification without even thinking about it. But there are many other times when I do take a moment and actually, you know, think that through and say that prayer to myself, and then I swipe the notification away. In fact, I sometimes don't swipe swipe the notification away because I'll notice it another time later when I look at my phone. I'll see, oh, the notification's still there. So, so that's one of the, the tricks I've used. And like I said, I'm, I I do the small uh, prayers. I I have gotten a meditation practice going. You know, in, in my 40 years in the program, I didn't get a meditation practice going until about, um, I guess it was about 10, 11 years ago, something like that, 11, 12 years ago. And what happened is, is I actually took a commercial meditation class that you pay for. And I went to the class and I did all the homework and the homework was to meditate every day. So for eight weeks, I did a meditation every day, you know, at least 15 minutes or longer. And then it wasn't immediately after that class that I started this, but within about six months after that class, I started doing a meditation every day, period. In fact, I kept track of it and I had you know, uh, I, I can't remember the total number of meditations I have. Now I've fallen away from that practice in the past three years, but I kept that practice up for a good 10 years or maybe eight years, something like that, of doing a meditation every day. And I would keep track of how long I meditated. And I got to longer and longer meditations. I, I started doing an hour or maybe two hours meditation. So that's another way that I can get in touch with that experience or part of me and try to quiet down that thinker as a meditation practice. So um, I, I don't do it as regularly every day, but I still do meditate very often. I probably average at least four or five times a week that I meditate now. And um, I think that's a helpful practice too. Thanks so much. Michael D, you are next. 
Thanks, Michelle. Frank, loved your share. Thank you. Uh, you talked a lot about selfishness and gave examples of how it was the root of your problems. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about how you smash selfishness day to day? Well, it, it's it's a matter of doing all the spiritual principles, basically. You know, the uh, every one of the spiritual principles are part of what is an antidote to that selfishness, self-centeredness. And those principles are prayer, meditation, forgiveness, living in the now, gratitude, surrender, acceptance, and trust. So doing any of those spiritual practices is a way to try to get out of that selfishness, self-centeredness. And, you know, it's, it's um, that's that's what the, the problem of, of life is, is that selfish and self-centeredness. If I, uh, if I could be less selfish and self-centered, I'd, I'd have a happier life. I'd have a happier wife. I'd have a happier everything. So, um, you know, that's the root of the problems. That's what the big book says on page 62. And um, so, you know, it's, it's just bumbling along is, is the way to do it. There's no magic cure for selfish and self-centeredness, except maybe death, I, that would might cure it. <laughs> Okay, thanks. On that lovely note, Michael S., you're next. <laughs> Thank you, Frank, so much. Um, I would love to hear about your experience with body image and uh, what, what's your journey been towards seeing and accepting yourself in your current body after the weight loss? Thank you. Yeah, that... Uh... I, I bought my body image is I keep it clothed. That's the, the main thing I do. Um, so, you know, it, it was not a pretty picture, a lot of loose flabby skin hanging down. In fact, uh, you know, when I, when I first came into the program, I was single. And so when I lost the weight the first time, I actually went and got the, uh, uh, I forgot what they call it now, they um, got the apron token, taken off of the, the, the fat hanging down for, over my stomach, from my stomach. And, that was really a painful surgery to, to recover from. And I, you know, I, I don't recommend it to anybody, but see, I was single and dating at that time. So I, I kept that up and then I married my wife. And I was unfortunately during, while I'm married to my wife, the same wife over the, all these years is when I had that relapse period. And, you know, I'm back now to a normal weight and there's still the weight, the, the, the fat hanging down. When I go into swimming pools, I always wear a t-shirt. I don't go in with topless. So um, I definitely have body, body image issues, but uh, I don't do much about it. I, you know, it's the way it is. It's way, 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 way better than it was stuffed full of 400 pounds of fat. So I just am grateful for that and, um, and just uh, keep plugging along. Now, I, I haven't exercised in a year because of COVID. So I'm looking forward to getting back into the gym and hopefully getting some muscle mass instead of um, having them waste away. Okay, it looks like we have time for at least one more question. Would anybody like to raise their hand? Uh, Fee, you are next. Hi, uh, thank you so much, Frank, uh, for your lead. I'm just wondering, um, do you read literature on a regular basis? Um, I don't really read the literature, the, the OA literature, except, except it, when I go to a literature meeting. And that's why I love going to a big book study meeting. I, I go to a big book study meeting. In fact, I've been going to a big book study meeting of one kind or another for probably 10 years. So that's the main piece of literature that I study over and over again. In fact, our big book study meeting up here is on Thursday night at six o'clock. You'd be happy to welcome to join us. If you go to oasiliconvalley.org, oasv.org, uh, go to the Thursday night meeting, six o'clock big book study meeting. What we are doing is we're go actually going through the, the stories now. We've, we've 
we just completed going through the first 164 pages. We finished Dr. Bob's story and we're in, this, in the second story of the big book. So you're, you're joining at a great time right before we get into the, um, all the rest of the stories. And we're gonna go through all the stories and then we'll go back to the beginning of the big book and start again. I've gone to a lot of big book studies where they just keep doing the first 164 pages over and over again. But I'm looking forward to actually getting into all the other stories there because there's a lot of good spiritual stuff in all those stories. And I, I'm, I'm not very aware of it because I, I, I mostly have been studying the first 164 pages. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay, it looks like we have time for another quick question. Anybody wanna raise your hand? Any questions? Oh, Jesse, there you go. Hi, Frank, um, thanks so much. I was wondering if you could just quickly talk about sponsorship and your experience with that. Um, yes, sponsorship is uh, an important part of the program because that's, that's the way that we work the 12 step is by being a sponsor to other people. And I am very grateful that I've had the same sponsor for the past 14 years of this recovery. Um, I actually got him after I was about two or three months uh, abstinent and he's been my sponsor ever since then. And, and he, he was cut out of the same mold I'd been cut out of. It's, it's a great relationship that we have there. Um, and um, I do try to sponsor, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm a great, very great sponsor, but I, I do my best. I bumble along and um, I, I tend to take people through the big book is the way I do it. And that's the way I started, you know, 40 years ago, all we had was the big book. We didn't have any OE literature outside of pamphlets. That's all we had at that time. So the big book was it. You got one more question, I think. No, actually, um, that, unfortunately, that's all the time we have okay. for questions. But thank you so much, Frank. And we'll turn it back over to Mari, our secretary. All 